0: Let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 13. There we find God's word summarized as follows. Why is he called God's only begotten son? since we are also our children of God. Because Christ alone is the eternal, natural Son of God, we, however, are children of God by adoption, through grace, for Christ's sake. Why do you call him our Lord? Because he has ransomed us, body and soul, from all our sins, not with silver or gold, but with his precious blood, and has freed us from all the power of the devil to make us his own possession. After the sermon, we will sing from hymn 64, stanzas one and two, about our only comfort as it is confessed in Lord's Day One of the Heidelberg Catechism. Beloved congregation, brothers and sisters, why did I just say that? Why did I just address you as beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ? Do you ever think about that? Or do these words just pass over you? If that's so, it's understandable. We hear them twice every Sunday, and we're usually still busy at the start of our sermon, getting ourselves and our kids settled. But do you remember the wonderful significance of these words? You may think that it's just a tradition with us, and that's true, but it is a tradition that is deeply founded on the message that God wants to bring to us all. That is how he wants us to understand our relationship with him. We are the beloved of the Lord. And that's not something we should take for granted. It's highly and wonderfully significant that was brought home to me some time ago when I spoke to a sister in the Lord who became a member of one of our sister churches. She had listened to one of our church services on the internet and that had piqued her interest. And do you know what one of the first things it was that struck her? The fact that the minister began with that statement that he began by referring to the congregation as the beloved of the Lord. She thought that this was marvelous. She had been to many churches in the past and listened to many sermons over the years, but she had never heard that before. Sometimes someone from the outside has to point that out to us. They have to point out the riches that we have in the Reformed faith that take these things for granted. And you may think that this is kind of patting ourselves on the back, that I make too much of this. Well, as you will see this afternoon, we can never make too much of this. As you will see, we are not God's children because we are so good or because we are so obedient. We are not God's children either because we have more faith than others or because we sin less than others. No, we are God's children because he loves us, period. It is only for that reason that he has adopted us. It's all about the love of God for his children. I've summarized the message as follows. We are God's beloved children. In the first place, not because of obedience, and in the second place, but because of adoption. I'm not sure if you noticed it, but there is some tension in this Lord's Day. It seems that there are two opposing concepts at work here. In the first place, we are told that we are God's beloved children and that he has set us free from the power of the devil. But in the second place, we are also told that he is our Lord and that he has bought us with his blood. And so he owns us and that means that as our owner, he has a complete claim on us and therefore we are obligated to serve him in whatever he asks from us. And so as God's children, we are set free, but as his possession, we are obligated to serve him. Isn't that a contradiction? Those two don't go together, do they? How can you have freedom on the one hand and be compelled to do certain things for him to do on the other hand? Well, people have come up with all kinds of solutions to this apparent dilemma. But with many solutions come many misconceptions. That's because sinful man wants to reason things out from his own earthly perspective. The first misconception that man conjures up in his mind is that freedom means that you are able to determine for yourself what is good for you and what is not good for you. You decide for yourself what the best way in life is. That's the kind of thinking you find especially in the world. Worldly people believe that freedom means doing whatever you like. The wisdom of the world is that you must trust your heart and your feelings and go your own way. That's the only way you can find happiness. Think about what you want out of life. Follow your heart. Thankfully, that's not what we believe, is it? We know better or at least we should. We know from scriptures that our hearts are corrupt and that our feelings are poor guides. We know that the Lord God guides our lives and that he holds us accountable for our actions. And yet, it's still a difficult concept, also for you and me. Because of our arrogance and pride, We cannot get the notion out of our heads and that we have to do something in order to be loved by God and in order to be his child. But that's not the way it works. A moment ago, we sang from hymn 11, hear how the Lord on on Sinai's mountain addressed the people of his choice. And they in the thunder heard his voice, I am the Lord, your God and savior. We sang that the Lord says, I am the Lord, your God and savior, present tense. That's also how the 10 commandments start in Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy five. And that's also what we hear every Sunday morning when we recite the 10 commandments. That's what we heard this morning. Do you realize what that means? God says this before he comes with the Ten Commandments. In other words, before he gives the ten words of the covenant, he reminds the Israelites and therefore also us of the relationship we have with him. He is the lord our god he is our father in heaven and that is what we have to understand first and foremost for that's the clue to everything not many people understand this even some very learned theologians oh sure they may get some of the elements right about our relationship with god but too often they don't understand the depth of the covenant relationship that God establishes with us. Brothers and sisters, you may have all kinds of degrees behind your name and read your Bible from cover to cover many times. But if you don't understand that, then you will never understand the great riches of what God gives us now and into eternity. Then you won't understand. The primacy of love over everything. Think about how that would work within your own families. You would say to your son, Johnny, I love you dearly. You're my child. But that relationship between you and me is on shaky ground. If you don't do exactly what I tell you, then I may just disown you. And so I'm going to keep track of your behavior. And if your good, way, good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then we're all good. So watch out. That's not the way it works, is it? You love your child, and you try to show that in every way. It is a strong bond between parent and child. And such a bond is not easily broken. Unless your child completely walks away from you and your family and even disowns you, you will be devoted to him or her. And even then you will still reach out to him or her always. And their behavior does not determine the relationship. It's the other way around. The relationship determines the behavior. And that's how God treats his children as well. And of course he does that perfectly. Just look at the way the Lord God treated his people Israel. When he gave them the 10 words of the covenant on Mount Sinai, they had just been delivered from the land of Egypt, the land of slavery. Why? Why did he deliver them? Well not because they were better than the other nations. For as we know from Joshua 24 and other passages in the Bible, the Israelites were actually serving the gods of the Egyptians. And there were many other things wrong with them. And they were disobedient in many ways. You see, God does not make us his children because of obedience because we have earned something to deserve such a wonderful relationship. and You see, that was the problem with that rich young ruler we read about in Luke 18. He asked the Lord Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life. He figured he had done it all. He is proud of the fact that he kept the commandments of God. For he said that he kept God's commandments ever since his youth. No, says Jesus, you really don't get it. You haven't understood. It's not about your obedience in the first place. No, it is about understanding where your treasures are and how and through whom you receive these things and why. You see, the very question that he already asked was wrong. How do I earn my inheritance? An inheritance is not earned. An inheritance is there because of the relationship. And you see, he misunderstood totally. For you see, brothers and sisters, one thing is for sure, freedom through obedience is not possible. It's impossible, can't be done. Let me tell you why. In order to be obedient, you have to be obedient to something or to some set of standards. But whatever the standards are that you set, no matter how easy it may be to keep or you think it is, you will never be able to obey them to obey them consistently and totally. You can't and others can't either. For example, you could make the declaration to yourself and to others that you will limit the amount of time you spent watching TV and on your smartphone. Instead, you will spend X amount of time on some constructive activity. Now, perhaps for a while you may be able to keep that up. And you will be proud of yourself that you can. You will even criticize others who watch more TV than you do and spend more time on their devices than you do. But do you really think that you are able to keep that up consistently? Do you think that there will never be a time that you will not go over the limit that you set? You will. And this is just a small matter. And if we are incapable of following our own rules, we certainly will be unable to follow God's rules. For he demands perfection in every respect. So if you say that you can keep your own standards perfectly and that others can as well, then you will mislead them. For you will have set standard which no one can ultimately achieve and you have an unrealistic expectation of yourself and others. See, that's what the Pharisees did. They came up with all kinds of rules and regulations and they thought that they, of all people, would be able to keep them. For they thought that they were better than others. Oh sure, they also expected others to keep them, but they knew and everybody else knew that that would be impossible. And so why then did they give those rules and regulations? Well, the Pharisees did so ultimately because they wanted to make themselves look good and make others feel bad. That's not what being a Christian is all about. And Jesus makes that very clear. He called the Pharisees hypocrites. He called them whitewashed tombs, clean on the outside and full of death and decay on the inside. They excluded all kinds of people from the kingdom of God because of their inability to keep their rules and included only themselves. But how do you include others? How do you win others for Christ? by provoking them to jealousy because you have got everything so much better together than others. No, a believer is clothed in humility and is full of thanks. He is thankful for the salvation that he has received, not because he's more obedient or is able to project a better lifestyle than others, but because God has made him his child in spite of his sins. When the people of the world look at us as Christians, then they should not think that we of ourselves are of greater moral character than others. That that we through our own obedience are better than they are. If that's the image we project and how they as a result think about us, then it is no wonder that they will ridicule us as Christians But then they will point their fingers and say, look at him, he goes to church every Sunday, but he's not really any better than I am. Who does he think he is? Brothers and sisters, the Lord God is not concerned about my or your obedience in the first place. Of course, it's not so that we don't have to be obedient. Of course we do. That's why God gives us the 10 commandments that we must do our utmost to keep them. We'll say a little bit more about that in a moment. But that's not the point. The keeping of God's commandment is only the external side of our lives. If you emphasize obedience without putting it in the proper perspective, then you will always have a dual morality. For then it becomes your obedience over against somebody else's obedience. And then you're fooling yourself. Those who set the rules by which to live and who make them the standard by which they must be judged will set themselves up for a fall and then also your religion becomes a burden. You see, by nature we don't like rules and therefore we find all kinds of ways to escape the rules. As soon as we think that nobody is watching, we are into sinful activities. And when we are with people who do not have the same standards that we have claimed for ourselves and who do not know about who we claim to be, then you will easily go along with them and their standards. Young people, the Lord also warns you against that. Don't think that being a Christian is a burden because of the rules and regulations. Don't think of being a Christian as something you must do. No, it is something that you are. And there is a world of difference in those distinctions. And now we come to the heart of the matter. For you see, we are God's children by adoption. The second point. We have been adopted. And now God has made us his children. We are a family. As I said earlier, the Lord God addresses people as the Lord their God. That is what they are now, in the present tense. But that's not all he said. He also said right after that, that he delivered them out of the land of slavery. You see, he first reminds them of what he has done. He reminds them of his wonderful act of compassion that he showed to them when he took them from the land of slavery, from Egypt. That, beloved, is what it is all about, also today. Listen to what it says in answer 34. It says there that the Lord Jesus Christ has ransomed us, body and soul, from all our sins. And also that he has freed us from the power of the devil. That refers to our deliverance. The fact that God is our Father through the Lord Jesus Christ is only because of his act of deliverance. For to whom did we belong before our deliverance to the devil and his domain. Through Jesus Christ, the Lord God bought us with a price and now we belong to him. Now, that doesn't mean that we have been traded from one slave master to another, from an evil slave master to a good one, for then we would still not be free. That's why we read from John 10. There the Lord Jesus speaks about his people as his sheep, and he says that he has given his sheep eternal life. He says that they will never perish. No one, he says will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. If this was meant only for those who are obedient, then these would be idle words. For then Satan would pick them off one by one. And he would point out to the Father every single sin we have ever committed. And he would have a really good time doing it. The most significant statement in that passage is the one of John 10, verse 27, where Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. When you hear the voice of Jesus, what do you hear? Do you then not hear the voice of a loving shepherd? Of a shepherd who has saved you from the clutches of Satan? Of course. Only when you realize what he has done for you will you know who he really is. His voice to you is then like music to your ears. For then you know that it is the voice of a loving shepherd who takes care of you of a shepherd who will even lay down his life for his sheep. Of a shepherd that will do anything for his sheep because of his great love for them. If you know the Lord Jesus, then that's what you hear. But that's not what the rich young man wanted to hear. He was thinking about his salvation and about his possessions. He had a selfish heart. He had a greater relationship with his money than with his God. And so he took the easy way out. He thought, as long as I keep the rules, I can have it all. I can earn my relationship with God. He didn't hear the shepherd's voice. He didn't know who the shepherd really was. And so it is with all those who think their relationship with God depends on their own obedience. Rather than on their covenant relationship with God, they will not hear their voice either. It's also the way it is in a marriage. There are rules in a marriage. But if you really love your wife and you really love your husband, then ultimately there are no rules because of the love that you have with one another. It is based on the relationship and the rules are an expression of the relationship, then you will not hurt each other. Of course, we are sinful people and we do hurt each other at times and there's forgiveness. But ultimately it is about the relationship and not the rules. The rules are never first. The rules are only there because of the relationship. No one will ever be able to serve the Lord God if their eyes are not open to the great love of the unique Son of God, who has taught us to love, to serve, to serve God. Look at how he did that with the disciples in the washing of their feet. After he humbled himself as a servant and washed all their feet, he said to them, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Did you get that? We would say, now that I have washed your feet, you should also wash my feet. No, he tells them to wash each other's feet. Once again, he is not concerned about himself. It is about others. That's how you serve. That's how you serve out of love. If you see, if you truly see how the Lord Jesus has made us children of the Father, then you will also want to follow in his footsteps. And then you are set free to serve in the way that he serves. And then you're also set free from slavery to sin. The main thrust about being children of God is not through obedience as such. If that were a soul, then his reaction to that rich young, young ruler would have been much different. For then the Lord Jesus would have acted in anger and told him to get with the program, to keep the commandments, to keep undoing them. As it is, he was sad. Why? Because the man did not grasp his relationship with God. It's also the way it is in human relationships. If we think that it is to love one another through the rules that we set, then we don't have a loving relationship. Then we have nothing but a cold blooded contract. And if that's all it is, then we are sad. Then we are disconnected. And then we are lonely because there is no connection. As church, we're also sad when someone goes in the wrong direction. Not because he or she broke the rules, the commandments, but because he or she broke the relationship with God. In such a case, we don't become angry, but become sad and disappointed. For we know what it is like to belong to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, don't we? And we want all those who have had God's promises proclaimed to them at the time of their baptism, also keep on sharing that. And so, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, don't think of the Lord your God as the heavy taskmaster. And don't think of him as a cruel judge either, who some people who sends some people to hell and others to heaven. That's not who he is. How sad the Lord Jesus was when he saw his own people rejecting him, and thereby also the Father. At one time he lamented over Jerusalem. He cried out, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing." Matthew 23, verse 37. They belonged, but they walked away from him. How sad. But that was their own doing, and so they're without excuse. And brothers and sisters, we belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We are part of his family. We are in a relationship of love. And that's all God's doing. Isn't that wonderful? Now that you know that this is so, then now you also need to serve him and each other. And Now, you would also want to be obedient to him, don't you? Because you love him. Love comes before obedience. The relationship is part of the obedience. You cannot separate the two. God loves you and me. And that's why we must love him and each other as well. Do that today, tomorrow, and for the rest of your life. Amen.